The sermon text this morning is Philemon 1, verses 4 through 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I think it's fitting that we think together about loving one another well in the community of faith when it's so cold in here. So you might want to just scoot next to your neighbor and keep them warm. So it feels a little better than it did in the, the earlier service. I was actually up here in a coat, so... I have a friend here who shared with me that her first visit with us on a Sunday morning was a bit jarring for her. Uh, See, she grew up in a church where you weren't allowed to speak in the worship center, in the auditorium. You could talk outside that room, but once you came in, you're you're supposed to be quiet. And so she was a little taken aback when she came in first Sunday here with us. I came in a few minutes early to take her seat, and and we're having a great time. Uh, We are hugging and shaking hands and laughing and talking. And she asked me, why do you talk? in the sanctuary. I said, I guess because we love each other. Uh, There's lots of different ways I guess you could answer uh, her question. Um, Admittedly, we call it the sanctuary, but uh, it's not that there's anything more sanctified about this room than the lawn outside. Maybe this morning they're the same temperature, but but, uh, anyway, there was another visitor who told me uh, the church she grew up in the folks, they left the building as soon as the service was over. There was no milling about, there's no chit-chat. You're there for the service and you make your exit. And so her first visit here, somebody gives the benediction, the service is done, we all stand up and we stick around for a while. And she's standing there thinking, why are they all still here? You know, is, is there something happening after the service I didn't know about? Again, my answer was, we love each other. I think by now we've won these two ladies over. There is something almost irresistible about a community of people uh, that provides a sense of family and belonging. And and really, you won me over. I remember uh, Danielle and I, our first weekend here, making my way out there at the back door, and I run into a man named Levy. And uh, I I go like this, and he says, uh, in my culture, we hug. So... (laughs) So, so that was great. You, you, you had us right there, Libby. So, But our life together at Christ's Covenant is not just about warm human exchanges. There's a reason we love each other the way we do. And it's not because we all like the same football team or we vote for the same political party or because we live in the South and we like the gap. No, the overriding reason we have the sense of community that we do is because we share a common experience with God. We were all fellow rebels against him, all of us deserving judgment for our sins. But God, in his great kindness, sent his son to rescue us, taking the judgment we deserved, and he wiped our records clean. We have been saved from the wrath to come. And so as you look across the room this morning, maybe just take a moment right now and and look at the fellow members of this church. Jesus spilt his blood for that one, and for that one, and for that one, and even for you. Do you see 
the bond God has forged between us in the gospel. It's an amazing thought. We are now brothers and sisters in the household of God, adopted into the same family, members of the same body, a people for God's own possession. And because we have been so lavishly loved by God, we love one another. At times in ways the world simply can't understand. Philemon was well known for his love of the church and Paul appeals to him to extend that that same love even in the context of a conflicted relationship. So some of you might be thinking, you know, didn't we just cover Philemon two months ago? Why are we revisiting it today? Uh, Tom asked me to preach on the topic of community and my mind just immediately went back to this passage. One commentator said that Paul's letter to Philemon circles around the central theme of the Christian community bound together by mutual love and commitment. So I'd like to stir you up by way of reminder, as Peter writes, and drill down on this topic of community, mainly looking at uh, verses 4 through 7. The basic storyline should still be fresh in your mind. Philemon was a leader of the church in Colossae. Onesimus, his his, uh, servant, had apparently wronged him in some way, and he fled away to Rome, where he providentially meets Paul. He hears the gospel. He's, He's brought to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul then sends him back to Philemon with this letter appealing to him to forgive Onesimus and receive him back no longer as a bondservant but as a beloved brother. It's an amazing story. It's a moving story, one that highlights the power of the gospel to reconcile broken relationships in the church. Even those that have to, to deal with, with people that are, they don't have the same social or economic positions at all. The basis of Paul's appeal to Philemon is found in verses 4 through 7. We see that Philemon had a well-known faith in Christ and a love for the church. And we find from what Paul prays for him that sharing in this life of faith in the community of faith leads to a deeper understanding of all we have in Christ. So it matters to God how well we are loving one another in the church. And it's an indication of, of our own personal knowledge of God's love for us. So there's this back and forth dynamic you'll see between, between these two things, our fellowship with God and our fellowship with other believers. So a question to consider as we start, how deeply has the good news of the gospel gotten into your heart? One indication will be how well you love others in the church. It's kind of a litmus test. So we'll look first at the nature of Christian community and then second, the fruit of Christian community. Two things we notice about the nature of Christian community from this passage. And Philemon, he's a good example to us. In the church, there should be a common faith in the Lord Jesus and a common love for all the saints. If we define community as an organized group of individuals united by a common trait, these are the common traits of our community. Faith in Christ and love for the saints. That's the glue that that holds us together. John Calvin said that having a faith in Christ and a love for people is, quote, the whole perfection of a Christian man. So this is what Philemon was known for. Paul heard about it, we read. Uh, Philemon's faith and love were conspicuous. So when we see these two things in our midst, we ought to be thankful to God, just like Paul was. But what does having a faith toward Jesus or in Jesus actually mean? You know, the word trust probably fits the biblical idea better today. 
Uh, Today we use the word faith to describe our commitment to believe in something when all the evidence is to the contrary. It's it's not really the case. It's like uh, a fan of the Cleveland Browns saying, hey man, we've got to have faith. You know, I know we haven't won a single game all season, but got to have faith. You know, that's not the biblical idea of faith at all. Philemon's faith in Jesus means he personally trusted in Jesus to save him from his sins. So faith means believing with your whole heart that Jesus is reliable. Having every reason to believe that he actually is reliable. It's it's not a fool's hope. It's a casting yourself upon someone you know is capable of catching you. Philemon relied on Jesus. He trusted in Jesus, which means he did not trust in himself. There was a personal dependence in and commitment to Jesus Christ. So some of us here, you know, we have attended church for years. We've heard these phrases before, but this has never really come home to our hearts. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you trust him to make you right before God? Have you ceased to trust in anything you can do to gain God's love and favor? The genuine Christian community is made up of those who have abandoned all self-reliance. They have repented of all self-righteousness and they've put their faith in someone else, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this in turn brings about a profound love for one another. In the year 125, a man named Aristides, he wrote a letter to the uh, Roman emperor Hadrian to provide a defense of the Christian religion. This is what he wrote. Falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. From widows, they do not turn away their esteem, and they rescue orphans from anyone who treats them harshly. The one who has gives to him who does not have without boasting. If there is anyone among them who is poor and needy, and if they do not have any extra food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. So this kind of, of self-sacrificial love that, that Christians had for one another, it baffled the ancient world, and it still does today. Our love for each other is one of the distinguishing marks that we belong to Christ. Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John writes, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So our love for one another, is, it's not a take it or leave it kind of thing. It's a defining mark of who we are as believers. And so an, an entrenched unwillingness to forgive or a heart that is consumed with hatred or rivalry or jealousy for someone else in the church is an indication that you might not be a Christian at all. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul, he gives a list of what he calls the works of the flesh. And if you've read them, have you ever noticed most of them are, the majority of them are the very things that destroy community, sexual immorality, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. But then Paul, just a few verses later, he'll give us the fruits of the Spirit, And you notice again how how many of them are directly tied to our relationships to one another. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. So the works of the flesh, they destroy our community. The fruits of the Spirit, they build up our community. So friends, if someone were to ask you, um, or you were to ask, if someone were to list some characteristics of your life, what would they say? Are you known for your kindness? Are you gentle? Do people enjoy being in your presence? Do you think when people leave your house, having spent time with you, that, that their burdens feel a little lighter? Paul tells Philemon, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. To refresh means to bring to rest. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the believers in Colossae were brought to rest by Philemon's love. Their their hearts were brought to rest. Their hearts were refreshed. So they were affected emotionally by his love. And, you know, I read that that last phrase there in verse 7. It just makes me want to grow up spiritually. I, I, I want, you know, to, to, to serve and love the people of God in such a way that they could say, my heart has been refreshed through you. I hope that's something we all want. Philemon had a remarkable love for the saints. He probably had the spiritual gifts of encouragement and hospitality. We know from verse two that the church met in his house. He was likely a man of means. He had servants. He had a a house large enough to accommodate a gathering. He even had a guest room. Uh, We find out in verse 22. And, And Philemon fulfilled what Paul taught in 1 Timothy where he writes, as for the rich in this age, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You might be thinking, Are you saying only the rich can love God's people in this way? I'm I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Philemon used what he had to make much of God by blessing the people of God. He refreshed their hearts. So Philemon trusted Jesus and he loved the church. And so Paul prays essentially that he might excel still more. So we turn now to the fruit of Christian community. I think verse 5 is a parenthetical statement because verse 6, it just picks up from verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And then verse six just gives us the content of what he is praying for Philemon. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. That's a mouthful. But uh, we have here one scholar named Tom Mercer. He can help us out. He says, uh, Tom says, to share your faith is much deeper than simply evangelism or communicating the faith to others. The word share means fellowship. It's the same Greek word. Or to partner or to participate with others. So sharing your faith in this context means partnering with others in a life of faith together. So some examples. What what would this look like? Maybe one of us has cancer. And so one of us says, I'd like to drive you to your chemo treatments every week. Or one of us has lost his job. And so one of you take it upon yourself to help him craft a new resume and help him network with the right kind of people to find a new job. Sharing your faith means rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, and giving of yourself to do spiritual good to someone else. It involves prayerfully speaking the word of God to one another and serving each other in very practical ways. So clearly the Christian life is meant to be lived out in 
community. There's no getting around that word sharing. It's right there in front of us in black and white. Our faith may be intensely personal, but it is not private. God has so wired our relationship with him that unless we intentionally participate with others in it, we will not grow as we ought. We will not gain this full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So do you long for a deeper, fuller understanding of what it means to be a child of God? Paul says you're not going to get there unless you intentionally fellowship with the people in this room. We need each other far more than we realize. George Whitfield said this, My brethren, let us plainly and freely tell one another what God has done for our souls. To this end, you would do well, as others have done, to form yourselves into little companies of four or five each and meet once a week to tell each other what is in your hearts, that you may then also pray for and comfort each other as need shall require. None but those who have experienced it can tell the unspeakable advantages of such a union and communion of souls. None, I think, that truly loves his own soul and his brethren as himself will be shy of opening his heart in order to have their advice, reproof, admonition, and prayers as occasions require. A sincere person will esteem it one of the greatest blessings. Telling one another what God has done for our souls. That that is a really good definition of Christian fellowship. And I think one of the defining marks of true Christian community. Undoubtedly, Philemon, he he believed all of this. He is visibly engaged in the life of the church in in a very personal way. But remember what Paul is about to ask Philemon to do. He wants Philemon to extend his well-known love and fellowship even to Onesimus, someone who was several rungs down on the social ladder, and even more, someone who had wronged him. So now we come to it, perhaps the most Difficult and yet the most promising aspect of our mutual participation in the faith. So here's the bad news. As fellow members of the body of Christ, we still live in a fallen world. We are still contending with the indwelling sin that remains and we still do battle with the demonic. So therefore, at times, we will annoy one another. We will hurt each other. We will sin against each other. John Calvin said, those whom the Lord has adopted and deemed worthy of his fellowship ought to prepare themselves for a hard, toilsome, and unquiet life crammed with very many and various kinds of evil. A case in point, perhaps, your care group. I'm being a little silly here, but is your care group strange? You got some eccentric people in there? You got some unconventional types? Well, guess what? You're blessed. You get to learn how to love difficult people. How else are you going to learn how to love? Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's the easy stuff. No, you've got to roll up your sleeves and you've got to pass through the training of learning how to love the unlovely because God loved you. You think they have problems. Have you ever thought how hard it might be for them to love you? We all have blind spots. And this isn't just care groups. I, you know, I, we can find this in our community at large. I've seen it happen again and again. The very people in the church that you put in a box 
uh, based on first impressions. You know, you go, loser, in your head, sinfully. And more often than not, those very people will be the source of completely unforeseen blessings in your life. They will teach you things about God you would have never learned otherwise. We come in as, as the teacher often in relationships, don't we? But if we're humble, we'll leave as the student. And that is good for our souls. There was a man here who was telling me about his extreme frustration with someone in the church. It's one of you guys. And uh, I mean, the personality clash was legendary. There couldn't have been more differences between these two individuals. But he said it hit him one day. I need that guy. I need that guy. The very fact that that he's stirring up so much annoyance in me is revealing. Turns out, I don't know how to love people as well as I thought. Certainly not the way Jesus loves me. And I find there's an ugly streak of self-righteousness in me that needs to die. His heart actually inclined towards this individual. And his comprehension and appreciation for the gospel of grace took a huge leap forward. That's how it works. You don't come to this full knowledge unless you stick around. If you want the fruit of Christian community in your life, you've got to spend time with God's people with all their warts. And you can't bail on them when they grate on your nerves or when their sins show up. Of course their sin is going to show up. Your sin's going to show up. But I know it's a labor. It is a labor, but you, you've got you've to remind yourself, this is good. This is a good work. This is for God's honor. This is for God's glory. I need this. My heart needs this. It's a good training. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So Paul is saying, Philemon, if you want more of God, you will reconcile with Onesimus. You are well known for refreshing the hearts of the saints, so refresh his. And if you do this, you will refresh my heart. He says that in verse 20. And also, just consider for a moment the incredible, awe-inspiring providence of God. You know, Fleeman could have never guessed that this man that stole from him and ran off is one day going to be his brother in Christ. Paul writes in verse 15, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. None of us gets to determine who who is a part of this community. That, that is God's domain. In his infinite wisdom, which no man can trace, he has determined that the trajectory of your life and, and the lives of every other member of this church would intersect at this particular point in time. At this church, 6501 Fox Road. It's an amazing thought. He puts particular people together for particular seasons of life, for particular good purposes. And we get to find out what those purposes are as we intentionally engage with one another. Some of you are like, yeah, this is totally a work of God because if I was not a Christian and that guy was not a Christian, we would not be friends at all. Maybe you've had that thought. It's a supernatural thing. Our bond is not based on where we come from or how much money we make or whether or not we like Donald Trump. We are family because of Jesus Christ. As one author put it, community is created where Christ is championed. 
So I'll finish with this as a point of application. People are lonely today. That is crystal clear. Maybe increasingly so. Uh, People are isolated. Families are fragmented. People are longing for community. Maybe that's you. You know, what do you do if you're not experiencing the kind of community that you want? I first want to affirm with you that community is a good thing. It's a good desire. It's a good desire to have. You know, if we are falling short in loving one another well, then please pray for us. Pray for our body. Pray that we would be a healthy church that loves one another well. But I'd also say examine yourself. Are there ways you're spending your time that actually inhibit FaceTime with people? Is your calendar full of self-oriented hobbies and projects? If that's the case, you know, your complaint about the lack of community is going to ring a little hollow, you know? And finally, I'd say fix your eyes on Christ. We want to value community because the Bible values community. But the Bible is also crystal clear that Christ, Christ is the source and foundation of our community. Christ creates our community. Christ fuels and energizes our community. You see how uh, Paul sums up all of this in verse 6. For the sake of Christ, he says, our sharing in the faith is centered on him and his glory. So friends, we have to be careful not to put the cart before the horse. We all need community. It's just we need Christ more. The Bible never pits those two things against each other, but it does prioritize Christ. You know, sometimes if you peruse church websites and you see all those pictures of those smiling people and they're just having a great time and the church just seems to offer so many wonderful opportunities to bring people together and it all just looks great. Everybody has perfectly white teeth and, you know, it just looks great. It's clear they value community, isn't it? But it's, it's not always so clear that they value Christ. Christ somehow gets eclipsed by all the fun and friendship that's being offered. And community, it sounds really great until you have to deal with the actual people in the community. That, and that's, that doesn't get discussed very much. So we have to be careful here to make sure, make sure we're talking about the same thing because your version of community might just be a utopian dream. And you'll just go from church to church looking for it. Hundreds, hundreds of people do that. If Christ is not supreme in your affections, then you'll be looking for people to fill you up and to meet your deepest needs. But the thing is, people can't do that. You're looking to people to provide you something only God can. You're going to be disappointed. And I say this tenderly, I'm not trying to further hurt the lonely. I'm just saying that Christ understands our loneliness better than we do. Jesus Christ was abandoned by his closest friends. He hung on a cross by himself for sins he did not commit. He became lonely in order to bring you in. If you give Christ the seat of honor in your heart, then all your other guests will find their proper place. Then you will have real community. Then then you'll actually be freed up to love other people. And people will say, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, my sister. My heart has been refreshed through you. So let's 
Let's pray towards that end. Lord, we plead for the work of your Holy Spirit in our body. We thank you for the sense of community that we do have. We thank you that here Christ is preached and therefore we have seen the fruit of that in our own community, but we pray that we would excel still more, that we would learn how to love one another. We would be gracious with one another. And we cannot do this apart from your Spirit, so we plead for it in Jesus' name. Amen.